0: Hello, and welcome to Love the Game, Live the Dream. Join me, your host, Nick Holmes, and my array of guests as we prove to you that you don't have to be a Hall of Fame player, a first-round draft pick, or even a high school standout, for that matter, to have a successful career in the sport of baseball. This podcast is brought to you by World Baseball Experience. Love the Game, Live the Dream is an entertaining yet insightful look at some of the baseball world's brightest and most talented minds. You're going to hear the life stories, struggles, and triumphs of everyday coaches, scouts, executives, and even entrepreneurs that are making their mark in baseball and in life by pursuing their passion and love of the greatest game on earth. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy Love the Game, Live the Dream. Hey gang, welcome back to another episode of Love the Game, Live the Dream Hope all you gamers and dreamers out there are enjoying March 1st, 2018, as we are so close to opening day. I'm sure a lot of you are uh, watching some spring training as we get rolling into the season. Uh, Speaking of season, I cannot believe that we are on episode 10 here of the podcast uh, in season one. I don't know why I said Season 1. I don't know if there's going to be more seasons. It might just be one long, continuous season with as many episodes as I can get through. But I can tell you this, there are four more on deck, ready to be edited and posted, and And I have a list of about 32 more guests that I can't wait to get to. So we we got some time. I'm looking forward to sharing all these interviews uh, with these incredible individuals that are out there making a difference, changing the world through baseball, as my guest today loves to say, and I totally ripped that off of him. He's just an incredible guy. can't wait for you guys to meet him. His name is David Turgeon, and David is the uh, coaching instructor for the Pittsburgh Pirates down in Bradenton, Florida. Just an incredible guy. I met him last month at the American Baseball Coaches Convention got a chance to hear him speak uh, in our international meeting, a little breakout session with about fifty, sixty people there, standing room only as they they put us in kind of a small room. Um, but it's one of those things where, you know I was just kind of there to check it out, you know, meet some people, and didn't think I would be taking any notes. That's for sure. But as soon as I heard Dave speak, it was uh, it was incredible. it was it was very inspirational, motivational, all that good stuff. Right off the bat, he started talking about uh, a guy that I love to read uh, named Seth Godin. So I knew we would click. And it was just a matter of time before I could corner him somewhere and uh, introduce myself to him and, and ask him to be on the show. So that's exactly what I did. I sent out to do that and I accomplished it. Um, we were able to uh, share a couple of free drinks at a, uh, a little function the next night and, uh, I talked way more than I should have, as always, I know shocker to a lot of you, um, but I did get a chance to, to invite him on the show. He graciously accepted because that's the kind of guy he is. And I'm looking forward to sharing this interview with you guys. And I'm not going to give you any spoilers here, so let's just go ahead and let it run. And I hope you guys enjoy my interview with David Turgeon. Welcome to the show, Dave. I appreciate you taking time out of your day to, to meet with me here. Good to be here, Nick. And it was uh, great to have met you in uh, in Indy. Uh, it's
1: a lot warmer where I'm at right now. I can guarantee you that. Yeah, I bet you're enjoying that getting back home, huh? It's a nice time. It's uh it's the nice, best time of year to be in Florida. You know, camp is knocking on a door. We're got a little calm before the storm you hit me at a perfect time i'm, I'm energized i'm ready to get awesome. in and into the uh, season and get after um you know the new year so here we are
0: right on that's awesome man and do you get an opportunity to, to do many interviews like this this time of year or is it not until the season gets going So, you know, these, you know, something this extent in terms
1: of time, usually during the season, it's sound bites. Hopefully we can drill down into some different topics today and influence and impact some people. But, um, you know, in the off seasons, when I get a chance to get more in depth with stuff and it's actually, in my opinion, it's more meaningful for what I do and I can help guys maybe even more effectively in the offseason. So, you now this is good for me.
0: Awesome. Well, look, we'll get it kicked off here because I don't want to waste too much time telling you what we're going to talk about. And let's go ahead and get into it. I like to start all my stories at the beginning. We're going to uh, why don't you let us know the audience here where you were born. You don't have to give us your age, but uh, tell us a little bit about your background, your family, where you're from. I know you're the, the youngest of seven kids, and that's pretty interesting there. So tell me a little bit about how you were raised and when baseball jumped in and became uh, something that you were really uh, interested in so uh,
1: we and I want to try and distill this down because it's you know last of seven kids we're a very athletic family um, uh, blue collar family and um, grew up in Groton Connecticut uh, in the 60s and the 70s and I feel really fortunate being number seven out of my family for a ton of reasons um, you know the ability to watch and learn a lot of things at a higher level than where you're at, uh, was a daily occurrence. And, and that goes for for all kinds of things, athletic, academic, you know, social. Um, mm-hmm. so I, I am, I, I really, I understand what a good spot I was in. Uh, and then obviously be, ended up in baseball. Baseball was, um, you know, probably our sweet spot. Um, we were all multiple sport people in our family at five boys, two girls, even my sisters were athletic. So, but we all did multiple sports cause we were in the Northeast In the Northeast you're not playing baseball during the winter months. So you're, you figure, you figure something else out to it basketball or, or football or something. Um, mm-hmm. and I think that overall, um, you know, having, the coming from the Northeast in the cold environment, it probably uh, helped just to train athleticism and train decision making and train the competition tool. And I think all of those things kind of carried me that once I went to college and was able to play just baseball, I think I came a little quicker. You know, than the, then the guy that's maybe been, you know, specialized his whole life into baseball and, um, right. you, know, there, you know, so I, I always saw it as a positive, um, number one, being from a big family and always having to compete against bigger, faster, stronger people. Uh, and, and not, you know, always willing to, to kick my butt uh, figuratively, literally, you know. And so that's a huge advantage because in order to get better, you need to stretch. Um, and in order to stretch, you got to be pushed, you know, beyond your limits. And I was all the time. And I was just comfortable being stretched all the time. And because I was all the time the smallest, weakest, worst athlete, and you know, by far the youngest. So, um, I had to figure some stuff out and, um, I, I look back on my playing career and I think that, uh, I was extremely fortunate to be in that spot. And, in my, in my playing career, I usually was probably, you know, between the 20th or the 25th guy on the roster because, you know, I would, I would have a spot on the roster because I knew what I was doing and, would find a way to you know figure out how to help help somebody win and 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 generally um you know that has value so i feel really really fortunate for for a lot of different reasons but um yeah that's that's uh that's
0: that's in a nutshell that's what it is would you say just from what you just told me right there that your baseball iq outweighed your your physical ability a little bit I thought, you know, it's funny. I mean, I have no doubt that I was smarter than my ability.
1: And, mm-hmm. and, um, it, so, uh, I think that's helped me in terms of being able to teach the game. Um, you know, in order to survive, I wasn't going to blow balls by guys or hit balls, you know, over the fence. I had to figure out how to be, sure. um, you know, how to play. I had to figure out the game. And so, you know, I, I just think that, um, you know, it's. I think it's an ideal scenario to build a teacher.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to ask you about. You had a couple of brothers that uh, you followed their footsteps into professional baseball. Steve and Mike, correct? Yes. And how much older? What's the age difference there? Down on so, that, were they were they close to you? Or? Yeah. So
1: Steve is six years older. Uh, Mike is nine. Mm-hmm. Um, two of the best role models I could have ever asked for. Mm-hmm. Um uh I you know one of my sisters two both my sisters are athletic one of them was an all-america uh in two sports in high school before it was ever fashionable to be a woman athlete back in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh I think it was in 75 and 76. So um and so she 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 added a ton of value and uh just it just she's she's an incredible you know person obviously but uh those guys um, in terms of the baseball end of things, they were great role models and they were great teachers and they always, you know, gave me really good wisdom. But you know, the biggest thing I always, I always call, you know, there was a guy, it, it was the, the, the guy that broke the, the four minute mile was a guy named Bannister. Do you remember the guy? Alan Bannister. Uh, so Alan Bannister was the guy mm-hmm. that broke the four minute mile. And he did something that Everyone said that could not be done. In fact, scientists did a study, and they said uh, it can't be done. The human body is not made to go under sub-four-minute mile and blah, 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 blah. So anyway, this guy, Alan Bannister, he breaks the the, uh, the four-minute barrier. You know, within two or three years, it was like 10 and then 12, and then, you know, now it's like, I mean, it's crazy how, how far under the four-minute mile we are. But it was all because this guy Bannister just— you know, he didn't, he didn't listen and he he just believed that he could do it. He did it. Um, and so I always look at, you know, these types of people as permission givers, permission givers are people that make you understand or make you believe that you can do something. And my brother, Mike, who, who was the second, third oldest in my family, he was my banister. Um, he, he told me it was possible because he did it. And I never had a doubt, even though I look back at myself and I go, I can't believe that I believed <laughs> because yeah. I was really subpar. Athlete. I mean, I just, I just wasn't really very good. And, but I always believed and I kept working at, but he, he was my Alan Bannister. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we all, you know, need or have those, in our lives. And I, I, you know, I told my brother, you know, not that long ago that he was my guy and, and um, you know, he was, he was appreciative, but uh, truth be told, uh, you know, I I don't think that if I wasn't number seven in the family and, and and put in that circumstance of being able to be in a spot like that, Mm -hmm.
0: then it would have happened because my brothers really paved the way for me. Yeah. That's a great point. And I had to point out something right now too. I'm embarrassed. I actually jumped the gun on that. Alan Bannister was a baseball player. That's why his name came. It's Roger Bannister was Roger the, uh, Bannister. yeah. So, so the I, I just so I immediately so went to the I always, yeah. <laughs>
1: I always call my brother, my Bannister. And I yeah. never even, I never, never knew him by that. the first name. Yeah. But he, uh, and and I always talk about the story with, with players, uh, you know, and coaches because it's important to have that guy in your life, or that that person in your life uh, mm-hmm. that instills that kind of belief in you, and uh, but you know, yeah, he's just he's a phen, he still is, he's a phenomenal man to have in my life. My old, one That's of my great. older brothers. Yeah, it that's awesome.
0: amazing. So going through again, you got a pretty extensive resume here. Thirteen years, you know, playing professional baseball um, on several different uh, in several different countries, and uh, you know, I'll ask a few questions about that. But going through, you know, your life as a player and being, you know, the younger brother of of some guys that had some some really good success with it and all that was was that something that you just knew you know, maybe as a teenager in high school or that you were going to be in the baseball world for your career, for your life, or is it something that you went through maybe made a left turn and then came back to it? You follow me? Yeah. I had this conversation
1: not that long ago, um, with someone and, you know, when, when, you know, I went to college and then I went, I graduated and then signed like, all within a week or ten days, okay. Uh-huh. And the next thing you know, thirteen years later, you're you know you're going okay. The doctor's telling you, "I can fix everything, but you'll never throw again." And you got five screws in your shoulder, and we've got lots of rehab. So if you hope to throw batting practice someday to your kids you know, it's good that we get this fixed now. So, so I I was sitting there going, Hmm. Okay. And now I'm not the kind of guy who, if I have a job to do, I'm not thinking about my next job. I'm thinking about my job. And sure. You know, when I was done playing, I, I, you know, when I went into that surgeon, I thought I'm going to get this thing fixed. And I'm going to keep playing, even though I'm 35, <laughs> 34, right. 35 years old at the time. And I just, I ha- I don't even, and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing that I'm telling you that, but I haven't, mm. I definitely, I don't look past where my feet are. Sure. Uh, and, and, and it allows me, cause I, I just never felt I was good enough to do that. I always felt, you know, if I have an opportunity that I have to work like hell to to do the best that I can right now and, 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 and keep that opportunity. So, Mm -hmm. so when my career went so when that surgeon said those words to me, I was like, wow, that's, that's, that's tough there. Uh, I don't know what to think. What am I going to do? So, and it's the truth be told, I, you know, you probably have passing conversations. The first time I had a serious conversation was when they took that right arm away. And I said, okay, Mm-hmm. So what I did was I said, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I think the logical thing is, is that um, would uh, I, fa- I didn't, didn't have a, I didn't have a phone or a computer. This is 1999. Mm-hmm. Um, I went out, purchased a fax machine and got on my typewriter <laughs>
0: uh,
1: and I typed out a resume, uh, a professional resume. And that had, you know, just, really not a ton on it. And uh, other than playing baseball and um, mm-hmm. going to Davidson and I, I sent it out and I finally got some responses. And the, the, the first response was from Neil Huntington, who's currently the general manager and uh, uh, like vice president of the, uh, the pirates. And he was the farm director. He called me and it was, he was interested uh, to ask me if I wanted to be an assistant, farm director and interview for that position. And it's so funny. And so the Marlins were the other club and they, they wanted to talk to me about a pitching coach position. And so long story longer, I I was with uh, Neil interviewing and uh, he said, do you think this would interest you? And I said, you know, I, I don't know that I'm ready to come off the field. I would love to, be on the field and I just wasn't ready to let go of being on the field. And so that's when, you know, they offered me uh, a managing spot and, you know, and that's, you know, and then as I, you know, kind of got into that, I, I, I realized, you know, not that long after that, you know, I didn't know what I was doing at all. Um, I didn't, I didn't know the game as well as I thought I did. Mm -hmm. Um, I certainly didn't know how to manage and manage people. And so it was a tremendous learning experience. Um, really, uh, I look back on it and I'm very grateful for it. Um, and I had unbelievable, you know, like Neil set me up for success, putting some veteran coaches around me. Mm. um, you know, that were, and to this day are still my mentors, uh, you know, just tremendous people. And I hadn't thought about it and I ended up in it. And you know, what ends up happening is I fell in love with the game in a different way. Um, I learned the game and then what ended up happening was that I realized that the game has allowed me to teach and impact people and help people and, and, the, and it is, it is really gone 180. And, uh, my coaching testimonial goes from being really all about me to, you know, trying to help others. Uh, and yeah. that, and that's a, that's a 180. Uh, and, um, I think, you know, there's nothing like managing or fatherhood for, uh, getting a guy to look in the mirror because, you know, players or your kids, they don't, <laughs> they know, they know that, you know, when it's, when the words and the actions don't match up, they know, man. And so, right. um, you know, what kind of leader do you want to be? Uh, so, That's right. but, uh, so, but th- it was a very, it, you know, I had no intention. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, here I am. Uh, but it's a different, my whole lens of the game is different and, and why I'm doing
0: what I'm doing is it's, it's it's way
1: different than what it was 19 Mm -hmm. years ago.
0: So you're sitting at that fax or uh, typewriter, about to to type up the resume and then fax it out, which uh, is just funny in itself, right there in today's day and time, <laughs> right? And so you went to school at Davidson College. You mentioned what did you study there? Did you did you just study baseball and take what you had to take, like a lot of guys do, or did you have an interest or any um, you know deep interest in in actually learning something that maybe was your going to be your plan B when uh-huh. baseball was over? I went to Davidson.
1: And truth be told, I was overwhelmed academically, um, way, way challenged and over my ski tips. It's a really good school. And, Mm -hmm. um, I, I got into, I just, I was taking courses when I first got there. I was thinking, man, I I think, I hope I can finish, get my, my schedule done by two o'clock. It's practice at three o'clock and then I can get lunch. And, Mm-hmm. Uh, there were no thoughts about what I wanted to be, other than oh, I got a chance to play baseball. However, I was a good enough student to to hang in there. So I uh, I ended up uh, in high school. I tell you that uh, history was a burden to me. I just it was I just never liked it. Um, but my sophomore year at Davidson, um, I met uh, I came across a guy named Doctor Parton who. Uh, made me fall in love with history and made me realize it was this story. uh, And he's a very good storyteller and uh, there's nothing like a story to help you make sense of things. And Mm -hmm. uh, I look back on my experience in college, uh, whereas I learned, you know, a fair amount of history, but really I learned the value of storytelling and, but uh, the history and I've never stopped reading history books uh, mm-hmm. or traveling and seeing historical places. And it's always helped me make sense of the world. Um, and, you know, also being a teacher, the value of the story is amazing. You capture hearts. Uh, and as a teacher, you can also make people wrap their brain around things. And I never, I I'm always looking for the next thing. And, and I always, I understand that that's how I've learned. It's how many people learn and, and the value of all of that. So history and storytelling has been a huge uh, part of what I do. And, and, um, you know, I miss mm-hmm. Dr. Partner has since passed, but I, 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 look back. The other thing I took out of my, my academic thing in college was I look back on how a man inspired me to, to love something. Mm-hmm. And as a teacher and a coach, uh, well, you know, why can't we do that? There's someone out there that it's in there. I'm not saying that you can't inspire the world, but someone out there is, is ready to be inspired. Some young historian, some young baseball player, some young, whoever, mm-hmm. especially your kids inspire your kids. I mean, there's nothing better than seeing your own kids be inspired, but um, it's yeah. possible. You know, people always say, Hey, you can't teach passion, you know, but you can ignite it. Um, I I, tr- I, tr- I, tr- I truly believe that.
0: No, I agree with you 100%. I think you know, just from our own experiences we can, you know, buy into that um, by by being ignited by something that maybe was just on the surface there. Uh, no doubt. You, you know, when you're when I got a chance to meet you at the convention, we we talked a little bit afterwards, you know, we ha- were able to have a, have a drink and loosen up and talk a little uh, about life and stuff and you know, one of the things that stuck out to me in your your talk even though it wasn't a long one, but it was it was great. To see somebody that, I guess, believes in the same things that I do, mm-hmm. going through the roles that we're in as as coaches and as parents, as you mentioned. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've been trying to put my finger on how to word a, a phrase or a tagline or a motto or whatever, and I've, you know, kind of used... Baseball as a vehicle, you know, there's that whole thing, you know, we're using baseball Mm -hmm. as a vehicle to educate and and mold young lives. But when you came out of the gate with, we believe at the Pirates organization and, and you personally, that we're changing the world through baseball it just resonated right. through every bone and muscle in my body and I, I wrote it down immediately and, and I'm, and I'm stealing the shit out of it. Just so you know, Dave, uh, <laughs> as, hey I man, talk to, great as I, as I, as I, you know, job. as I talk to other coaches and as I continue to move on down my path, cause I just think, uh, you know, again, you just, you put the words in the right order for me. You know, we're, we, we're doing all those things, but to simplify it, you know we're changing the world through baseball, and we're we're mm-hmm. we're putting ourselves in a position to, you know, to ignite the passion as you mentioned, to pass on the uh, the wisdom and the knowledge from from our previous coaches and and teachers and mentors. And I just I love it, and I, I know you do too. And I, I was really drawn to uh, to your talk because of that, because I could tell just in in your voice that. Not only do you do this a lot, but I can tell that you enjoy doing it. You know, where sometimes we get mm-hmm. into jobs and people do things, and they're really good at it. But you know, at the end of the day, they go home and they can't stand it. You know, they're just they're not happy with they're not getting any full f- fulfillment or any joy out of it. But they just happen to be really good at it, and I think that's uh, one of the things I know I love about this game is that as I get a chance to talk with guys like you, is it it just makes the enjoyment of it that much better you know and it just rea- reassures yeah, okay. you that you're doing that you're doing the right things and um so i was going to jump into uh, a little bit of, of outside of that and that's why i asked you about you know what you uh let's say field you might have gone into if baseball wasn't going to be your path and you know you studying in history i mean do you think you would have stayed in, in the education uh world and, and maybe become a teacher was would that have been something you would been interested in or do you think about that
1: I found my teacher's heart when during my minor league time, uh, before I went overseas and then came back, uh, I used to substitute teach at the local high schools and that was part of my gig. I did that and I parked valet and, uh, you know, just trying to make ends meet in the off season. Um, but I found that I, I truly enjoyed helping kids because what ended up happening is, you know i was i was substituting and then i ended up tutoring some some kids in in different subjects at high school level and then i i ended up uh, this my second off season back in connecticut the uh principal asked me if i would be interested in uh taking on a full time special ed tutoring position where you know some of these guys are you know, have some special needs in terms of being medicated but they were some of them were super highly intelligent guys, but they offered super challenging mm-hmm. teaching opportunities, if you know what I mean. So sure. I uh, I was like, and the first thought that comes into my head, well, that pays how much a day? <laughs> so <Yeah>. I, again, <laughs> I'm like, sure, yeah. I'll do that. And, yeah. um, but well, what ended up happening in, and you can look at this any way you want, but I I seemed to connect with those kids really well, <laughs> and, and <laughs> I like it. Yeah. so I uh, I ended up finding a little niche, um, you know. And I, I kept doing that as I was playing as well. And I remember going into my off season thinking, you know, oh man, now I get to go teach and uh, you know help some kids. And I think I think it just fell into you know my natural. Uh, way of thinking, and you know, having a teacher's heart. Um, I, and again, um, I I don't view myself as a coach any longer. I truly look at myself as a teacher. And I, I don't I don't doubt that uh, for a second that I would be in the education field. Mm-hmm. Um, I might be a high school coach or. Um, you know, I always, someone always asked me recently, Hey, if you had a year off, what would you do? And I'd take a sabbatical, uh, to, to study, uh, and start a PhD start a but there's so many things I would love to do. Uh, but if I had a year and how would I leverage that? And, you know, it's very little to do with baseball, but I, you know, it always comes back to the game that has, I use is now a hook for me. So I, and I, I have a deeper love for the game today than I've ever had. And it's just so many great things about it. But, but the teaching bug, uh, got me when I was playing, I, I, I look back on that and those days truly helped me. Um, they were super challenging. It was a different environment. Those are different guys you're you're teaching and what's the difference between teaching algebra to a, to a guy, you know, who is, who has attention deficit disorder, uh, than, you know, teaching a slider or the game to, you know, a 16 year old Latin American kid that's never been, you know, dropped out of school in the sixth grade. Right. Um, you know, they're both unbelievable teaching challenges and, uh, how am I going to get to this guy? Um, how am I going to help him? And, and really it's, it's the same different, different cases, but really it's all the same. You got to paint a picture. Where's where he at? What, what does he need? Uh, and then, you know, what, what do I? What's my, what my big picture vision for this kid? Let's how. Let's get him. Let's get him to his next dot. He's here. We got to get him to his next dot so he can continue to. But so uh, mm-hmm. I look back on those days and I really uh, value those days. And I look back at them. and I go, well, a lot of things were born there, and
0: for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was wondering if maybe you could share a little bit about some of what you talked about at that at that uh that meeting as well when you in reference to you know coaches and how we sometimes uh label guys when you were you were mentioning that about how it seems to be something that uh, obviously you you grew up watching and then maybe even practicing a little bit and then now have have gotten beyond that but explain that a little bit how coaches can fall into that trap so late so coaches
1: and again, I, and I, I include myself front and center in this. We, we will look at a guy and because we've played so long and coached so long that we have this ability to see a guy for a short period of time and either a put a ceiling on him and say, this is what he's going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, he can't play a label. He doesn't compete enough label. Uh, there's not enough bat label. Um, he is whatever label that you throw on guy prospect, non-prospect. That's an unbelievable label to throw on guys. Right. Um, so, so labels, so labels are limiting number one. And, uh, mm-hmm. in a short period of time, I don't, I can't believe that I f- fall into this default conversation and it's happened not that long ago where I go, how do I know what he can be? I, I have I have no idea what he can be you know why I say this because I've been proven wrong so many times Nick mm-hmm. yeah. that and it's amazing how you still get caught up in these conversations where you go oh, I know how this is gonna end and I've seen this guy and mm-hmm. it's amazing so anyway when you yeah. label a guy and if you don't label this guy if your label isn't oh can't miss if it's not can't miss, then you are not giving him your A game because you don't mm-hmm. think he's gonna be there. Okay. Right. And instead of worrying about is he gonna play in the big league, what you need to do is find out what dot he's at and get him to his next dot. And if you go beyond what dot is he at and get him to his next dot, then you've done too much. You can't possibly help him the way you need to help him. And I mm-hmm. tell, I tell I, I spoke with our big league staff and you know, one of my things was this, and I brought up another a scenario and his name is Josh Bell. Mm -hmm. Josh Bell is our big league first baseman. Mm -hmm. And two years ago, two, two and a half years ago, I was part of the, a group of, of super smart coaches that was saying, no way he can play big leagues first base for us. He can't do it. This guy, Mm -hmm. he's not good enough. And you know, there's no way. Well, you know what I didn't? I didn't know. I didn't know that this guy had unbelievable work ethic. I didn't know the drive that this guy had to be unbelievably great. I didn't know. So I, I put a ceiling on this kid without even knowing him. And Mm -hmm. so last year
0: he can i jump in real quick can i just ask this because i wanted to ask this because i think it's important with you're with a group of 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 expert coaches like you said do you feel that that you might have been influenced in any way or is that just your gut reaction was to be Uh, the same i I mean I, i i felt like no i i don't feel
1: like i was influenced anyway i had these these preconceptions about him. And that doesn't mean this is not about his, him as a person, because he's an amazing man. He's an amazing guy. Mm-hmm. My label was, I had him figured out. That was my label. Okay. And great. This isn't going to, so my thought. And so listen, so then he does an amazing job for us last year and proves everyone wrong, including me again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we went into this winter camp. We had a camp about three weeks ago, three, four weeks ago. And Kevin Young was working with him at first base and I was hitting Josh Fungos and, and uh, he was going around and, and I was watching something that I couldn't recognize from the first time I made that, that label comment to the Mm -hmm. the guy I was hitting Fungos to. I could not, it was not recognizable to me. Mm -hmm. And that was the, that was the extent of his improvement. And, You know, it, it made me think of, so we, we read this Chip Kelly book several years back in this book. He talks about water, the bamboo and water. The bamboo is a, is a quick story about, listen, the giant timber bamboo, it it doesn't grow. You can water it for three years and nothing happens. But in year four, it grows like 90 feet in 60 days or some crazy Hmm. phenomenal number and isn't that just like player development, because I've been proven wrong so many times Nick, um, yeah. that, that I, I try to see guys, you know, in a growth mindset of, of this is where they're at, get them to the next dot, because you know what they, they have limitless dots that they mm-hmm. can get to. It's just about, it's about how badly they want to get to it. and. Right. And this guy Josh Bell is a, it, 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 obviously it's one of these big league stories. Um, but uh, I, I am looking forward to seeing him at some point in his career. I think it's this important to him. I think he it's he's so driven. I think I would love to see him receive a gold glove at first base, not just a silver slugger or an MVP. Right. But I'd love to see that. And and on that day, I'll be like, you know, this is, this is amazing because really, you know, when you label guys, you, 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 you immediately your, your brain doesn't allow you to give him everything that you have to make him and help him. Um, and it's just it's not it's I, I, it's just it's not responsible uh, as I, a teacher so yeah that that is a that's a yeah. that's a huge conversation for me and i have a i have many more stories like that
0: well i'm sure uh, yeah I can imagine the amount of guys that you've you've seen prove you wrong along the way, you know coaches and players you know I see that a lot in the scouting world i'm sure as you do it, and that was one of the things that always I mean, you know, it just kind of made you think you know you you're sitting next to guys that have been around the game a little bit longer, and like you said they they've seen how this movie's gonna end, and there they are, you know oh, he's not a guy, he's a guy da 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 and uh I remember one of my first lessons in scouting was that we don't have a crystal ball, nobody knows what this guy is going to mm-hmm. be until he plays himself out. And and again, you know, there's just so many great examples in history that you can go run down, you know, you know, someone like Albert Pujols, you know, coming out of the junior college, uh, you know, ranks. And, and if any scout thought that that guy was not only going to be an everyday hall of fame or, or an all-star, but, you know, a hall of, you know, or an, excuse me, everyday player, uh, not to mention a future hall of famer, you know, if anybody, if any scout thought that they, they're lying. Right. I mean, right. <laughs> you know, no Everybody labeled him as a, you know, not even going to make it to the big leagues. So those, th- that's great stuff. Explain a little bit about your role in today's game. I, w- I mean, I would love to, you know, we, we got so much to talk about in so little time, but I wanted to jump. By. I would love to get into a little bit of your path in coaching. I know you spent a lot of time coaching at the college level level, and then of course, managing in the minor leagues and, and explain a little bit about what you're doing today with the pirates and your role as uh, as a coordinator. So uh,
1: the past uh, four years and then into this year, this year my role is kind of morphed a little bit, uh, but um, it's been essentially figuring out what we're doing on the field, how we're doing it, is there a better way to do it, and then to coach the coaches you know, in those aspects. And I've been super fortunate to be around some really smart mental conditioning guys and some motor learning guys um, to learn about – skill acquisition and how we can possibly train differently. So I've I've uh I've had being able to be away from get out of the dugout and watch and mm-hmm. and observe. So anyway, this this has been a great experience for me um mm-hmm. in terms of being able to help bring some creativity to the workday and create essentially more transfer uh where you're you know you're allowed to or you're you have the ability to take your work and carry it into the game as opposed to, man, I wonder, you know, he took a really good BP today. He just can't take it into the game or this guy's fine defensively, but man, when it comes into the game, this guy was really good in the bullpen, but just hasn't been able to carry it over the game. So Mm -hmm. trying to get that, that gap filled with, okay, why? And let's, let's get, let's do better. And let's see if we can get guys transfer better. So uh, that that's been a huge thing of what I'm doing. And then, you know, instructionally taking some of those learning concepts that we're doing and be creative on the field and uh, create uh, some decision-making scenarios on the field that Mm -hmm. are at game speed and to train uh, really the 15 seconds between pitches and the game awareness much more effectively. So it's been, that's been what I've been doing for the last three or four years. This year is, you know, going to be a similar role spring training, you know, kind of looking at what are we doing and how we want to train this base running, hitting defense uh, pitching. We have some creative ideas on how we can uh, get some more transfer from those areas into the game and how, so looking at how we're training it and then get them ready for obviously opening day and all their leagues. Uh, Then I'm going to oversee our extended spring training program. And then once a month, I'll still be jumping out to go to the DR for a week. Uh, So I'll be coaching coaches, but um, pouring most of the cement and rebar at the lower levels. And then mm-hmm. in, in June, June, after the draft, I will, uh, I'll manage our GCL club, uh, which is our rookie club right here in Bradenton. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will, and I will still jump out once a month to, mm-hmm. to visit the D, the DR. And um, so this year, I guess it's a similar role, just more concentrated at the foundational levels Mm-hmm. Uh, and then again, we, and then back into instructionally in, um, you know, in September, uh, be, it'll be the same role there, but so sure. yeah, I don't, I won't, I won't, you know, the only time I'll, I'll bounce away from, uh, Bradenton or the Dominican is to go to our meetings in Pittsburgh once a month with the coordinators.
0: Mm-hmm. When you're, you know, strolling around the backfields at spring training, or uh, I say that like you're just, you got all this time on your hands, right? <laughs> but I mean, when you're, <laughs> when you when you're observing, you know, you're doing your job, you're out there trying to see what you can do to, uh, to make, uh, you know, everything better. Do you ever find yourself sort of stepping out of the role that you're supposed to be doing and maybe getting back into a coaching role? For instance, your job is to coach the coaches, correct? So right. uh, if, if you're, you know, if you see something that's going on in a player let's say you're watching a catcher in a bullpen or you're watching a guy in the cage or something like that do you find it difficult to not engage with that player or is it part of your role to engage explain to us like it or is it your job to go find that coach and say hey here's what i'm noticing with this particular kid or this particular situation if they're you know doing bunts coverage or something like that can you engage like that or is it more your job to stand off and if so do you find that difficult one way or the other. So, so one of the, so the, one of the, it, that's a, that's a loaded question, but some, yeah, some of the moments, <laughs> what, what ends
1: up happening uh, is that when you're, when you're, you know, trying to help coaches is the, the number one thing you can do is, is just watch them. And, um, yeah, you know, and even if you see something that, you, you know, you may or may not agree with, you know, you let it, you know, you just have to let it happen. That way you can, you know, you can talk about it, but, um, sometimes there's the, the greatest way you, you know, how we learn, we learn by watching. And sometimes I'll jump in with a player or a drill or something. Um, so the coach can watch and, um, it's a great way of teaching. So, you know, without being intrusive to, you know, they you know, Hey, this is, you know, this is their deal. Right. Um, you know, I might, I may or may not, you know, ask permission. Hey, you know what? I got some crazy ideas on, um, you know, how we're going to train this bunt defense today. And this is what I was thinking. And, uh, let's give this a shot. I know you haven't seen this. I've, I'll, I'll try it. Let's see how it goes. However you want to put it right. So, sure. or there may be a guy, uh, that, uh, he, he may be scuffling. Um, and you know, you, you think you might have a way to, to reach him. You might, you might try to reach him in front of that coach, Um, and see, you know, Hey man, there's a lot of different strategies, um, you know, to, to do that. But the times that you jump in with players, really, uh, you really have to pick your spots. Um, and you got to do it with intention behind it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, know, really truth be told that I heard this a long time ago, but the mature coach can walk by the, the, if you're a pitching coach, the mature coach can walk by a bad delivery and, uh, and let the kid figure it out or not. And right. uh, if, if, if the timing is right um, and the same goes, you know, for, for when you're, you know, trying to talk with coaches is, you know, w- what's the timing and, you know, you, you want to get in there and you want to give them the fish all the time instead of letting them figure out how to fish. So mm-hmm. it's the same. It's really the same. It's all about
0: timing and feel. Yeah, um, when you want to do that, right? So you've got uh, the first day of big league camp is tomorrow, correct? It is, and this is uh, you know one of several that you've been through as a player. And uh, I wanted you to share a story. You you were going to tell me a little bit off uh, air before we started, but uh, I wanted to save it for the for the interview here. Tell us the story about your first big big league camp uh, as a coach. So. I think it, I think it was five years ago where
1: uh, it was my first, first big league camp. And Clint hurdle is our manager. Mm -hmm. Um, It is, uh, I was, we, it was pitchers and catchers. However, there were a lot of early position players there and what ended up happening uh, is that when we finished what we were doing with the pitchers and catchers as coaches, we would go and help out and either throw batting practice or shag for the position players. So, uh, Mike Pagli, Rullo, uh, who's, who's, uh, no longer with us. I want to say he's with the Marlins now, but, um, uh, we're, we're out in left field, um, uh, you know, talking about whatever we're talking about and we're shag shagging and BP is going on and in big league camp, there's always fans kind of circling, the outfield fence and, and looking for those, you know, balls and um, balls, you know, so I'd go back and I pick up a ball and, you know, it, it, this nice little old man, he, he was like, Hey, you know, sir, do you think you can, yeah, you know, I can have a ball. And I said, well, you know, of course, you know, and you know, I'm looking around. So i you know, you, you know, I flip it over the fence to him and, then, then the next thing, the guy says, Hey, do you think you can give me another ball for my grandson? And I said, sure. You know, I, I boom, my I flip him. next ball. I get, I flip it over the fence, you know, no problem. I, she kidding me. So,
0: uh, <laughs> about five minutes
1: later, about five minutes later, um, you know, ball goes over my head. I go out to pick the ball up and, um, I hear this. This old man's voice, and he says, "Hey, hey, coach, uh, do you think you can sign sign a ball for me? Sign both of them, both of these balls." And you know, and I'm and I thinking, geez, this is what's the protocol here? I I, I don't know what to do. I only really can't. People aren't asking you to sign balls and turn sure. key, you know." So <laughs> I I said, uh, "You know, sure." I, it just came to me. Sure was mm-hmm. my answer. Mm-hmm. So as I was doing this, I knew that this was not a good thing because I saw Mike Pegley rule. And every time I looked over and he was acting like he wasn't looking around and I knew this was not a good decision, but I just, I just <laughs> couldn't say no. I couldn't say no. And he guy flips me the ball over the fence. And I, I quickly put my glove under my left arm and I, I scribble my name. I flip it back over quickly twice. twice. Mm-hmm. And the guy said, thank you so much. I said, absolutely. And I take my glove and I run, I run the left center. I, I, oh, I see. I, so no one says anything. Mike Kegler really hasn't say anything. So we go in and next morning uh, we have a 7am staff meeting and um, Clint hurdle uh, who is an amazing noticer. Um, <laughs> he doesn't, he doesn't miss anything. Um, so he said, um, you know, um, just when you think nobody's watching, someone's always watching. Play this clip. And he, and so he had someone video. No um, way. Oh, my gosh. The, the, the entire scenario. Oh, my gosh. And, of course, the room erupted, and um, my face couldn't have been any redder. My ears were beat red. It was all. <laughs> I was so embarrassed. <laughs> but at the same time, man pretty good story. It is. That's That's hilarious. Had, I thought I got away with it. He had the whole thing video. He he's I, I mean, you know, he sitting on the turtle looking, you know, of course he looks like he did not watch. He watches absolutely everything. And, yeah. um, you know, Mike Pagliarulo, the guy who was to my right, I looked at him and he, he was, he had tears coming down his face. He was
0: laughing so hard. It was unbelievable oh that's hilarious yeah. so i mean yeah i, I was not expecting the, that ending with the video i mean i thought you were just gonna say oh. he saw the whole thing and he called you out on it but no oh, he, he, he did. Had it even better yet <laughs> he had it on video that is oh, awesome he did he got <laughs> me that's great good story well look i know you got a bunch of other stories i wish we had more time today but i uh i will wrap it up here i got a quick little game i like to play here i started it with um with Corey the other day, Corey DeHaan. And it's just three three rapid-fire questions for you. And then uh, I'll let you uh, give us some parting words, a little bit of advice um, to the audience here. But this is just uh, three pitches. You get a fastball, you get a curveball, and then you get a meatball, okay? So uh, first pitch here, fastball. I'll let you decide if you want a two-seam or a, f- a four-seam here. But it's uh, a real easy one here. Toughest pitcher that you ever faced in your playing career. Who was it? Rudy Sienez. Rudy Siena's. And where were you? What level were you at then? And what made him so tough? Uh, Carolina league, 1989. And I've, I've seen
1: different stuff left, right. Uh, mm-hmm. But it was, um, it was the first time I had seen a hundred miles an hour and, wow. which is a significant jump under bad lights. And wow, uh, he, he was, and, you know, it was, it was a five ten right hander that threw a hundred and, pitched a Jeez. long time in the major leagues, but looking back on it, I mean, I thought I had a chance. <laughs> I just yeah. really didn't have a chance. I had no chance. You had no
0: chance. And you, it was just a I couple did. years after you were drafted, right? So you're, yeah, I was 89. Yeah. 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 So, okay. Second pitch here. I'll throw you a little curveball here. Uh, what is your favorite? I don't want to say favorite, but what, what book do you recommend? I know you're an avid reader. What book do you recommend the most to your players and or coaches and friends? first book I would recommend to any young coach
1: and it's an outside the box read, but it's really good Is talent code. And, okay. uh, really helped put me on a different journey in terms of training mm-hmm. and training for the game, but talent code, I mean, among others, but talent code is something, it's a great read and then it's a good reread. Uh, mm-hmm. and then he's got some the little book of talent is his follow-up to that, which really is kind of like bullet points of the talent code. Okay. Um, If that book intrigues you, it will set you on a path of reading a lot of different other books in a similar genre. But talent code was, was the one that jumps out at me right out of the gate.
0: I, uh, I am moving that to the top of my book list here because you are the third, maybe even fourth person that has either mentioned it or recommended it to me in the last six months. Uh, awesome. so I, I, yeah, I, I it, it seems like it. So I got, I got to check that out too. I'm bumping that up to the top. And then lastly, I'll, I'll throw you a meatball here out of all the places that you played internationally. Which one was your favorite? Where did you like to, uh, where did you like to visit and play? We have a tendency to think about the places that made us feel the best mm-hmm.
1: um not necessarily the toughest, but I look back my my playing experience in Taiwan was very much like my college experience you know experienced academically, which was uncomfortable all the time because I was being stretched all the time and uh, uh-huh. it was not it was not easy uh, but it was something that was really gratifying. I look back on it and, um, the last two years I went back for a camp, which I guess it was 20 years since I played there and we showed up and there were autograph seekers with all my cards. Like I had never left 20 years later. And I thought, <laughs> wow, you know, a place that made me so uncomfortable and it was so hard all the time and the language and the game was different. And I was learning a new position and all of the above. I, I said, this place, this experience, helped shape me as a player and as a person
0: as much as any anywhere really. Oh, that's great! Taiwan, haven't been there yet. That's great. Avid baseball, avid baseball fan. Yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. I spent some time in Japan, and it's, it's the same with uh, with them over there. The culture is just—they uh, go nuts over it, it is. for sure. Yeah, it's it great. Excellent. All right, Dave. Well, look, I. I uh, I just want to hear a couple of words of uh, advice or recommendations for my listeners out there, for someone that might be in a position that you were years ago with that typewriter and fax machine, trying to figure out path and how to get on it and, and uh, follow your passion. W- what would you have to say to, to someone out there that's, that's looking to make a jump either from one job into this or, or, or is already in baseball and just trying to, uh, to figure out their way. Well, I,
1: that is, um, when you're given a question like that, it's either it's hard to to give someone one thing, but I I tell, I tell young coaches that really think that they have a passion for this. I said, they asked me what's the best thing to do. And I say, coach, get in there and coach. And it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. what level Um, I, um, an example of this is that I go and I coach these, these camps. Some of them are high school age kids in the off season. And what I've found is, is that uh, of, of all the coaching that I do, those are the things that make me sharpest and better than, than any of them. Hey, you have to really, truly understand things and distill things down for players. Mm-hmm. Um, and it helps make me a better coach, number one, and number two, at the, at the higher levels um, it really helps as well. So, um, I think that if, you know, if that's what you want to do, and I always tell young coaches, I said, you best way to learn how to teach and coach is to get in there and teach and coach. It does not matter what level, Mm. um, you know, because coaching is coaching. Right. And, um, you know, if I had a second thing to give them, I said, anything you can get your hands on and read it and expand your mind, uh, that would be the second thing. But those two mm-hmm. things for me are the key.
0: Great stuff.
1: But there's nothing like experiential learning
0: yeah that's great advice too and i'm glad that you mentioned that about the levels because i think that there are a lot of coaches out there that think that they can't coach beyond say you know an aau travel ball team or a high school or a college and if they don't get to the big leagues then they're not doing what they should be doing and uh, i think what you just said right there proves that that theory to to not be so accurate is that you're you're it doesn't matter who you are coaching. Like you said, you're just trying to get them from not. dot to dot, right? You're trying to get them that's, from dot to
1: dot. That's exactly right. And,
0: uh, um, exactly you, know, right. you got so, it. So yeah, that's good stuff right there. Well, Dave, man, I, again, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule. I know you got a big season ahead of you and, um, hopefully down the road, maybe we can connect again with a follow up interview after you've had some time to get your feet under yourself and get the season going and all that good stuff. And we can, hopefully give you a shout back and get some more some more coaching gems from you man i really appreciate it thanks for the
1: chance to to make a difference uh, nick and it was really cool to reconnect and totally enjoyed meeting you in indy and um, i look forward to doing it again live with you man
0: absolutely man and uh i will let you go for now and i wish you the best of luck in this upcoming season we'll be following the pirates a little bit closer this year now that i have a personal uh connection so uh thanks again for your time dave and uh wish you all the best we'll talk soon thanks nick see you buddy hey there nick holmes again just wanted to say thank you very much for listening to love the game live the dream brought to you by world baseball experience And if you get a second, please head over to worldbaseballexperience.com and put your email address in there. Subscribe to our free newsletter. It's not really a newsletter. It's just me collecting your email address so that I can send you uh, updates and new podcast information, maybe some photos and things like that, but don't worry, I don't have the time to spam anybody, so I promise that uh, I'll only be sending you quality information. <laughs> well, maybe not so much quality, but entertaining nonetheless. If you enjoyed today's episode, please pass it on to all of your seam head friends out there, your baseball enthusiasts. If you didn't like this episode, then you're probably not still listening. So I appreciate your time. And once again, this is Nick Holmes signing off. We'll see you next time on Love the Game, Live the Dream. Take care.